Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to everyone. Hey, weren't those poems that were read absolutely fantastic, weren't they? I thought, I don't, that's the message. There's a message for today. I don't really, I can take a seat now, have a coffee and enjoy it. But it's been a great service all in and uh, we're going to continue now with our service, continuing the message series that we started last week. Um, you may remember we're doing a message series through the whole summer and it's called Personal Parables. We're looking at the parables of Jesus. I'll be looking at them. Some other speakers will be looking at some of the parables. And we're looking particularly at Jesus' parables and how they relate to us in a personal way. And so, of course, on Father's Day, we want to look at what the Bible says about our Heavenly Father and uh, how he can be a father to each of us. And we've, I'm calling today's message, Lost and Found. Can you shout that out with me? Lost and Found. And we're going to be having a look at the, the parable of the prodigal son. And you know, for many people on Father's Day, both those that have fathers and those that are fathers, sometimes you might feel a little bit lost on Father's Day. I mean, there are those of us in the room today who have lost our fathers. Our fathers are no longer with us. Maybe your father has died, or maybe your father is lost because he disappeared years and years ago from your life and you've had no contact. You've had an absent father or a deceased father. And one of those ways, your father can be lost and you can be without a father. But you know that the Bible says that God can be a father to the fatherless. And so I'm hoping that if you feel fatherless today, for whatever reason, that you are not going to feel lost by the end of the message, that you're going to find something in what I'm going to share today, that you, you will be able to exchange that feeling of lostness for something that you have found. Maybe you feel that your father is lost or a relationship is broken because uh, you know, maybe your father's not, you know where he is and who he is, but you no longer have a relationship with him. Or maybe you're a father who no longer has a relationship with your family. Do you know, one of the amazing things, uh, amazing verses in the Bible, I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking about this verse as I was preparing this message, but as we were praying before the service today, it suddenly came to mind a verse in the book of Malachi that talks about how God can restore broken relationships. It says that God can turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of their children, of the children back to the fathers again. God can be in the business of restoring broken relationships. Maybe he has to change people before the relationships 
can safely be restored, but God is in the business of changing people. Or maybe you're a father and you don't feel like you're a very good father. You know, it seems that today the only people you're allowed to criticize are male figures, especially fathers. If you say anything negative about anybody else, it's a hate crime. But you can say whatever the heck you want about men. Have you noticed that? They're fair game. And especially fathers are fair game. And for those of us that are fathers and are doing our best to be fathers, maybe like me, you always feel like you're never good enough. I never like preaching about marriage and the family because I always feel like I'm not good enough. I mean, the standard that the scriptures give to us, you know, husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church. Oh yeah, I'm going to succeed at that, am I? I'm going to be exactly like Jesus. You know, it's like we are given this impossible standard and we kind of never feel good enough. And sometimes those of us who are fathers feel lost. We don't know how to be better fathers. But we are giving an amazing role model in the Bible in our Father God. Although we can never be God and we can never be as good as God, maybe there are some things we're going to learn today that are going to show us that God is not expecting us to check off a lot of boxes before we can see we're a good father. He's looking for people with a father's heart. Sure, we will make mistakes. Sure, we're not perfect. Yes, we're only human. But see if we can have a father's heart, then maybe we could live up to that. So in whatever way you might relate to this being lost, I'm hoping that today that you will find something in this message, whoever you are, and wherever you are around the world, and whenever you're watching this video, it might not be Father's Day when you're watching this video, but I'm hoping that you will find something in this message that you can connect with. Because after all, here's what the Bible says about fatherhood. It says this, if you put up the next slide, it says in Ephesians 3.14, when I think of the greatness of God's plan, I fall on my knees before God, the Father, from whom all fatherhood derives its name. So all fatherhood, whether you're the biological father of someone, or maybe you're the adoptive father of someone, or maybe you're seeking to be a spiritual father or a mentor to people, or if you're a, a woman, I'm sure you can apply it to yourself too, but it's not Mother's Day, it's Father's Day. And it's not God the mother, whatever some people out there might want to change it to. It is God the Father. Hey, if we're going to respect people's pronouns, can we respect the fact that God has given himself the title of Father? He's God the Father, and he is our provider, and he has a Father's heart. And all fathers are basically doing their best to try to emulate the true father of all, who is God the Father. 
So because the kids are in the service, I'm going to try and keep this shorter today. And also because the parable of the prodigal son is one of the best known parables in the Bible, there's probably not a lot I can say that you haven't heard before. And so we're basically just going to read through this parable. That's basically all we're going to do. And I'm going to comment on a few verses as we go through. So I've, I've broken the parable down into four sections. And I'm calling this first section, Getting Ourselves Lost. Let's look on. Getting Yourself Lost. Because whenever we get lost in life, I know we love to deflect the blame to other people, but whenever we get lost in life, do you want to know something? We got ourselves lost. One of the things about fathers and husbands and men in general is when we get lost, we don't like asking for directions. Have you ever noticed that? We just don't, I don't like asking for directions. And you know, sometimes people get, when people get lost, they blame the sat-nav. <laughs> and honestly, sometimes it is not all that perfect. But see, whenever you see these stories about people that drove into a lake or drove the wrong way up a one-way street because the sat-nav told them to, it's like, really? It, that was not... If you see a lake in front of you and the sat-nav is saying proceed and you proceed, you cannot blame the machine. You did it to yourself. You saw the lake there. And so whenever we get lost in life, the truth is we got ourselves lost. Maybe, we, maybe because we were rebellious against something or maybe because it was accidental but we're going to see that this son in this story got himself lost. Let's read, read what it says. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Right, we hear a lot today about the younger generation and millennials and this and that and the next thing and no one wants to employ them because they're all so entitled. But can I tell you something? People have always been entitled. This is tooth. I mean, like, human nature hasn't suddenly changed with this generation. It's just that We've got social media, and it used to be you knew a few people in your village, but now you can see what everybody's doing all over the world. We're just a little bit more informed. But this young guy, 2,000 years ago, was as entitled as you could possibly get. He basically, what he was saying to his dad was, I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. I want it now. I wish you were dead. I don't want a relationship with you. I want what I can get from you. You know, I've noticed that a lot of people that struggle with their faith 
will say things like, yeah, I'm having a crisis of faith because I've, I've, I've been going through this problem and God hasn't fixed it for, for me. But do you want a relationship with your heavenly father or do you, do you just want what you can get out of him? That's what this is teaching us here. He says, I want my portion of the inheritance. I wish you were dead. I'm not interested in knowing you. I'm not interested in having a relationship with you. I just want what I can get. I don't want to ask for your advice. I know you've lived a lot longer than me and probably have a lot more wisdom than me, but I don't care about any of that. I know best. Have you ever noticed, dads, that your kids, whatever age they are, always know best? You ever noticed that? Do you remember when you were a kid and you knew best? And so, very often we're like that with God. Even if we have a, have a faith in God, even if we look to Him as our Father, very often our relationship with God is not saying, God, you've been around a lot longer than me. Maybe you know a thing or two that I don't know. Maybe instead of making all my own decisions in life, I should be inquiring of you and asking for your guidance, your counsel, your wisdom. That's what we should be doing. Finding our Father's will for our life. But very often what we do is we have a plan for our life we want to be in charge of our life. We want to make our own decisions. We want to be our own God. And we just want God to provide us, answer our prayers and provide us with the things that we need to go on with our life. This is what he did. I want the share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. If this father in this story represents God our Father, I want you to notice something. God is not the way that many people think he is. God is not a control freak. God, he's not a dictator. He allows us, often with pain in his heart, to make our own foolish decisions if that's what we're determined to do. And so the father divides it. And a few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. He got himself lost. Let's read on. And about this time, his money ran out. What the father had worked for all his life to, pro to provide for his family, it was now gone. And a great famine spread over the land and he began to starve. Let's read on. Next slide. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. By the way, this was the lowest job you could do. This guy went from being the son of a father who had an estate and a place that he could live 
to basically cleaning the toilets in some dump someplace. That's basically the equivalent. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You know, sometimes other things in life look better and brighter than the, a relationship with the father or being in the father's house. Sometimes people will leave the relationship with God because they want to pursue something else. Sometimes they will kind of hang on to the relationship with God, but they will leave the church because somebody hurt them in the church. Somebody will hurt you outside the church too because people hurt other people. That's what people do. You've hurt other people. I've hurt other people. You've been hurt by people. I've been hurt by people. But maybe we should pull our big boy pants on and learn to deal with hurts, to forgive. Yes, avoid someone if they're toxic, but you will never ever run away from problems because you will never be able to run away from yourself. Every, you can go to a distant land, but everywhere you go, you're there. And so we tend to get ourselves lost. And when we break relationship with our father, or when we decide to abandon the father's house, even though we're full of all these ambitions and all these ideas, we find out that we've got ourselves lost. We find out that we've cut ourselves off from our provider, from our supplier, from, the, from our security, from our protector. We've made our own decisions and we now have to suffer our own consequences. To quote last week, what we have sown, now we're reaping. We get ourselves lost. If you feel lost in life, if you've made wrong decisions, if you've walked away from church, if you've left the Father's house, if you're in the huff with God because he didn't do the things that you thought he should do, if you've made decisions in life that you now deeply regret, if you feel that you have got yourself lost in any way in life, the good news for you is this is not the end of the message. This is just the first point. And the second point is this. What we need to do next is come to our senses. We need to come to our senses. Everyone shout, coming to your senses. The very next word says, when he finally came to his senses. Have you ever noticed that when we make mistakes, when we go down the wrong path, when we do the wrong thing, have you ever noticed that it takes us a long time to finally admit it? There's something about the human heart that makes us unbelievably stubborn. It's like, I am, I am hurting myself, I am damaging myself, but I'm going to keep doing it because I don't want to admit that I'm doing it. Folks, there comes a time, and for most of us, it takes a time, finally, 
that we eventually, finally, at long last, come to our senses. And if you have made wrong decisions, if you do have regrets, if you have broken relationships that need to be mended, if you have left the Father's house and need to return, if you're not on speaking terms with your heavenly Father and you need to reconnect that, whatever it may be, can I encourage you that today is the day to finally come to your senses and realize that there is a way out and there is a road back. Let's read on. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, by the way, talking to yourself, people say talking to yourself is the first sign of madness and things like that. Talking to yourself is an incredibly sane and healthy thing to do. You talk to yourself all the time anyway in your head, just make sure you're saying the right things. It says, he finally said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home. Can you shout, I will go home? If you're going to come to your senses today about some wrong decision you have, you've made or some regret that you have, decide today, I will go home. I will go home to the Father's house. I will return to a relationship with the Father. Today is the day to come home. If you're watching this online and you were part of a church, maybe this church or another church, and you've fallen out with them or you embarrassed yourself or you've gone astray, and I encourage you, today's the day to say, I will go home. I'm returning back to my family, back to God's family, back to the house of the Father. Because as imperfect as it is, it is better than living in a stinking pig pen. Can you say amen to that, church? I will go home to my Father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. By the way, that's true. That's not an inferiority complex. I mean, the first sign of coming to your senses is giving up your own pride and admitting, I'm not worthy of God taking me back. I'm not worthy of that problem being fixed. None of us are worthy. None of us were ever worthy. That was why Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose again because we weren't worthy. If any of us were worthy, there was no need for Jesus to come. So the first act of coming to your senses is admitting, I've blown it and I don't deserve a second chance. But thankfully, God has a heart of love in which he will give you a second chance and a third and a fourth and a 25th chance. God is the God who makes the unworthy worthy. He says, I'm not worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father's house. He returned home to his father. So that's the second thing. 
First one is we get ourselves lost. The second one is we need to finally come to our senses. And my third point is called getting what you don't deserve. You know, very often people think that the way to bring up children is to make sure they suffer the consequences. And you want to know, Christians can sometimes be the worst of that. I mean, I have, I, I have been shocked sometimes as I've overheard or, or discovered the unbelievably strict rules that some Christian families have that no one could live up to. And, the, you know, it's like, you were an hour late home tonight. You're grounded for three months. Your phone's taken off of you. And I'm taking your bedroom door off the hinges so you don't get any privacy. And you wonder why they don't like you, you know? Can we realize that God is a God who shows us mercy even when we do deserve punishment? He's a God who gives us what we don't deserve. I saw a father on social media. Not only did he do this as a punishment for his son, he then filmed it and posted it all over social media to humiliate his son. His son had done something wrong. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't all that bad. I mean, my kids have done way worse, I can tell you that. And, uh, and his punishment was he got his Xbox and smashed it to pieces with a hammer to teach his son that actions have consequences. Aren't you glad our Heavenly Father doesn't do that to us? So, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with anger and rage and judgment. No, it's not what it says, does it? Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Remember, his son was filthy and stinking like a pig pen. Folks, can I just say something? God is going to send people to this church who are physically and morally filthy and stinking like a pig pen, and our job is to love them, accept them, and welcome them. And his son, you know, his son had a little speech prepared, a little prayer of repentance but he only gets half of it out and the father stops him. Look, it says, but his, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father butts in before he finishes the prepared speech. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe. I want to show you this. Imagine his son's got no shoes on. He's barefooted. He's dressed in rags. He's covered with mud from the pig pen. He, his hair's a mess. He doesn't look good. And he comes and the father hugs him and kisses him. And the father says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Give me a fine, the finest robe in my wardrobe. 
Let me get that. He says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Do you know the Bible says that God takes away our filthy garments and clothes us with a robe of righteousness? Righteousness, like cleanliness, as if we have never sinned, as if we never made a mistake in the first place. He says, get the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Deborah loves bling, by the way. And I said to her, give me one of your blingiest rings. Put a ring on his finger. Do you know what the ring was? In those days, the head of a house would have a ring with a seal on it. And whenever they were making a deal or a contract or, or taking money from the, the, the bank or whatever it would be, they would drip some wax and they would put the seal of the ring in it. For a father to give his son the ring meant I am giving you access to all of my provisions. Do you know that the Bible says God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise as a guarantee of things to come? Do you know that when you believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes within you, that is God's signet ring saying, if I've given you that, I am giving you access to all the blessings of heaven that you could possibly need. And put sandals on his feet. I'm going to have to pull these on. Put sandals on his feet. Do you know the Bible says God has shod our feet with the sandals of the good news of peace? That now instead of walking in a, through life in a painful way with all the hurts of life, you know, if you go about with bare feet, it's ah, ah, ah. Don't know if you've ever seen that program on the TV we used to watch it in Canada. I don't know if you get it here. Discovery Channel, I think it was. It was called Naked and Afraid. Has anybody ever seen that one? Did you get it here? They take a couple of people and they drop them in the middle of the jungle with absolutely nothing, including no clothes, completely naked, no survival tools, and see how long they can survive. Well, do you know what the wise people do? The first thing they do is find big banana leaves and tie them around their feet. The unwise ones go about with bare feet, standing on thorns and getting infected, and a helicopter has to come and rescue them before their legs need amputated, because they've got infected. If you walk through life without the peace of God in your life, you're, wa you're walking a hurtful path. But he gives us the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. We have peace with God, and we can now walk through life as peacemakers and mending broken relationships and kill the fatted, kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he has found and so a party began. Do you see that God has invited you 
with all of the mess you've made, all the wrong decisions you've made, all the dirt that's on your life, all the ways that you've got yourself lost, when you finally come to your senses and return to the Father's house, God invites you to the party. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who threw a great party and you're invited to be part of it as if you never made a mistake in the first place. But do you notice something had to die for this party? Do you know that Jesus had to die for us to be brought into the party, for us to be made righteous, for us to be given the Holy Spirit, for us to have the peace of God in our life? What a fantastic father that welcomes us home regardless of our failures and mistakes. But hey, usually we stop the parable there with the prodigal son back, but that's not where it stops. It stops with us learning to become like our father. Not just welcomed by our father, but learning to become more like your dad. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And the servant says, you remember that person that left the church and caused a big drama about it? Well, they've come back again. Well, they shouldn't be allowed back in the church again. They left. Let them go. They caused a problem last time. Is that what the parable says? Look. He says, your brother is back and your father has killed the fatted calf and we're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry because he stuck it out in the church when that family left in a bad attitude. Instead of welcoming them back when they finally came to their senses. Let's read on. <clears throat> uh, next, next slide. And the father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. This guy had a wrong view of his father. God doesn't want you to slave for him. He's not looking for slaves. He's looking for children. He wants a relationship with you. Change your view of God. I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. I've been a good little church boy and girl. I've not made the mistakes that he's made. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And the father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. And the father is saying, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Can I encourage us who have come to the Father and have become part of the Father's house? Can we be people that rejoice when other people that we think don't deserve it come to the Father's house or return back to the Father's house? Can we be more like our Father and less like the elder brother and welcome them with open arms and give them a second chance? After all, God gave us a second chance. Maybe we should be the kind of people that give 
others a second chance. Can you say amen, church, to that? Come on, let's stand together. We're going to... We're going to finish with the Lord's Prayer. I want to lead us in the Lord's Prayer together. I, I've, we've put it in modern, kind of modern language a little bit, but it's a prayer to our Father. And so I want us to read it together. Can I encourage you to just get your mind and get your heart in an attitude, I am coming to my Father right now. And whatever helps you in prayer, lifting up your hands, putting them out in front of you, whatever it may be, let's do that now. And let's look at the screen together and let's pray together. Are we ready, church? Are we? Okay, let's pray together. One, two, three. Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as in heaven. Give me today's provision and forgive my sins as I forgive others. Lead me away from all tests and temptations and deliver me from all that is evil. For all the praise belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God a praise in the house. Come on.